Good morning, good day, or good evening. My name is Eli, and this is the Middle-Aged Witch Podcast. Today is Thursday, August 26th. The moon is waning gibbous in Aries. We are cruising right through the month of August, and we are heading for September. Like, here it comes. And although, you know, I, I do love autumn. But I am really trying hard not to wish this month away. Um, Part of my original purpose for this podcast was to do like some of my own shadow work. And, you know, one of my biggest faults, um, well, I say faults, but I don't want to use negative language. One of the things that I'm trying to do more of, rather, is to enjoy the moment. You know, whatever that moment might be, whatever it might bring, I'm just trying to live in the now and just sort of let things come as they may and not, um, you know, not, not wish so hard that, that I was in some future time. I'm just trying to enjoy where I am right now. So, you know, instead of saying how much I hate the summer and I hate being sweaty, it's too hot to do anything outside and everything is too goddamn dry. I will instead try and appreciate the things that I do like about this time of year. So, God, um, what do I like about it? Um, Okay, you know, one of the things that I do appreciate about summer and about August especially, um, at least here where we live, is that we have some of the best produce anywhere. Um, Strawberries like you will see nowhere else in the country are grown right here in my town. Um, in, in fact, there's a man here uh, who runs a strawberry stand, and he sells other kinds of fruit, too, you know, blackberries, cherries, um, even some vegetables, but it's famous for strawberries. And his strawberries are so exceptional that he has managed to put his kids through college just on the income that he makes from this fruit stand. That is how good this man's fruit is. And, you know, you just can't grow fruit like that anywhere. So, yes, it's hot and it's shitty. And I hate it, but it, you know, it makes us a good strawberry. And when we move out of this godforsaken state, and I am speaking that into existence, we will move out of this state. I will honestly, truly miss that. It might be the only thing that I miss, but I will miss it. Oh God. But you know, enough of that. What I really want to talk about today is fire magic. Um, This episode is part two of a four-part series that I'm doing on elemental magic. Last week was part one, and we talked about air magic. So if you're interested in the topic of air magic, please certainly do look up that episode and give it a listen, and let me know what you think. Um, But on to fire magic. So first and foremost, when you're considering what kind of element you're going to incorporate into your work, think first about what the purpose of that work is. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this in the air magic episode, but there are certain kinds of work that are best supported by certain elements. So, you know, with that in mind, some of the intentions or um, specific spell work that sort of falls under the fire magic umbrella might be any work that seeks to activate or awaken something. And it can be anything. If you're trying to activate something, if you're trying to activate discipline, if you're trying to activate ambition, if you're trying to activate a relationship, if you're trying to activate something, fire magic is the magic that you want. An aggression and anger, those are fire emotions. So if you're trying to guard against aggression or if you're trying to diffuse or control anger, think fire. 
as I said, ambition is ruled by fire. Um, and so our confidence and creativity and all three of those are very intermingled and intertwined. So it really makes sense that those are all fire magic spells, or at least the spell work is, is really well supported by fire. Um, desire is ruled by fire. So is destruction, um, lust, sexual energy, um, even love. Although, you know, a deep and sincere love is mostly ruled by water. That's, that's typically what we think of, but it's, there's also a fire element there as well. Um, inspiration, leadership, um, got magic itself is, is guided by fire because it is, it is the power of creativity. The fire signs of the Zodiac are Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius, which is very helpful if you're putting together a ritual or a spell and you might want to perform those ritual during those Zodiac seasons. Um, the planets associated with fire are Jupiter, Mars, and what? And the sun, which isn't a planet, but it's still a celestial body and um, its energy can help your fire work for sure. Fire magic entails all of the things that you would expect, <clears throat> like candle magic, cauldron magic, um, lots of love magic and passion magic uses the elements of fire. A lot of kitchen magic as well, uh, especially cooking and baking. But even if those kinds of magic aren't really your forte, you can still incorporate the elements of fire into your magical workings just by using ingredients that are ruled by the elements of fire. It's, um, it's a way of sort of combining different kinds of magic into something really powerful and cohesive. And you're calling on different kinds of elements. And that kind of flexibility and experimentation are so quintessentially witchcraft. You know, that's the kind of freedom that drew so many of us away from organized religions and dogmatic ways of thinking in the first place. There is no wrong way to do any of it despite what some people might say. Some ways don't work as well as others, but there's not really a wrong way to do it. So for example, if you're someone who really, really loves spell bottles or creating ritual teas, or maybe you're just working a spell that you want it to be, you know, a slow release kind of working. So you, you know, maybe you want to bury it instead of like burning your spell ingredients. You want to bury it so that it's like a slow, deep release sort of work and it grows. But maybe because of the specific kind of spell that it is, if it's a love spell or creativity spell or whatever, you want to call upon the power of fire. So how do we combine a non-fire spell method with those powerful and potent qualities of fire? Well, in those cases, one way would be to use fire ingredients. So if we're talking about herbs, then that would be like, oh, allspice, basil, bay, um, tangerine, orange, lime, just, you know, all of the citruses really are, are fire fruits. Pineapple is as well. Um, what else? Uh, clove, rosemary, uh, witch hazel sunflowers, um, oak and acorns, dragon's blood, fennel. Um, I'm just looking at my, <laughs> looking at my apothecary cabinets right now. Um, going through them, mustard, walnut, St. John's wort is fire, chrysanthemum, curry, pepper, horseradish, all of the spicy or warm herbs and plants, even like cinnamon or ginger and chili peppers, 
those are all fire. Frankincense is another big one. So is thistle, pomegranate. Oh God, I could go on for like four hours just talking about fire herbs. Um, but there are other kinds of things as well. You know, certain minerals and crystals like uh, topaz, tourmaline, especially red tourmaline, um, red agate, red calcite, just all the red stones really, um, like garnet, which is a red gemstone, red jasper, ruby. Um, but also like onyx, fire opal, um, pyrite, bloodstone, citrine, uh, tiger's eyes. There are a lot of different stones really that you can work with to bring some firepower to your spells. And you can also wear certain metals too, or use certain metals like brass and gold are, are fire metals, um, but so are steel and iron um, because they are forged in fire. So those are all going to be very helpful and, and assist you very well. But, you know, the point here is just to, to read, just get a copy of like, you know, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. Um, Cunningham also has a book on crystals and gemstones or uh, Llewellyn's Complete Book of Correspondences is another good one. Um, and you don't need these books. You don't. And I don't mean to imply that you do. But um, it is just very helpful <clears throat> to have some place that you can go that's reliable, that's sort of, you know, time tested uh, to find ingredients that are going to help you and assist you in your spell work. You know, this is the year 2021, for Christ's sake. Like, if we can't use some of this crappy technology to our benefit, then what's the point of it? Um and like I say, you don't have to buy these, but you don't have to buy the books at all. If that's not feasible, you can just get them at the library or you can find them used. Um, my copies of, of all three of those books were purchased used. I got them through thriftbooks.com actually. And while I am not paid to endorse that site, I do recommend it if your local used bookstores don't have what you need, or if you just rather would buy something used than new, they're a good resource. And if you go directly through their website, then you aren't giving Amazon any of your money, which is always my favorite thing not to do. <clears throat> but, you know, just do some research. Find out what plants and herbs and stones and metals are ruled by fire and then dig into the specific magical properties of those herbs and tools themselves to see which ones align with your intentions most closely. And, you know, yes, this shit is very time consuming, or at least it can be. But I mean, God, isn't that part of the fun and of the experience of creating a spell? I mean, do the work, man. That's There's a lot of spells that you can do that you can find online. But, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Any work that you personally create is going to be more potent and more specific to your intentions. And you're going to feel a lot more intrinsically involved in the creation of your results. Think about it like a cake. You can go buy a cake at the grocery store. Or, you know, if you want to be fancy, you can have a cake specially made at a bakery. And your results in both of those cases are going to be the same. You get a cake. But if you personally bake a cake, you are learning and creating as you go. You are baking your own energy and power and intention into the cake. And maybe the first one that you bake isn't so great, but the second will be better. The third is going to be even better. But by the 10th time that you bake that cake, you will be able to do it with your eyes closed. You will know exactly what substitutions are going to work and which ones aren't. And you'll feel an ownership over the recipe and the results. And you will know without a doubt that your end results are going to be precisely what you want. 
eventually that will become your signature recipe. And it's the exact same process when it comes to magic. The more of the work that you personally can do, the more your result will be tailored to your specific desired outcomes. So, you know, I've touched on this just ever so briefly, but I kind of want to expand on the concept of that. So, you know, thank you for going along that tangent with me. Back to fire magic. <sighs> um, so the concept of using fire to burn your spell ingredients or your sigil or what have you, um, that is mostly as a means of enacting a quick and powerful start to the spell work. But, you know, because fire magic can mean different things, um, you know, maybe I should have talked about this a little earlier, but here we are anyway. Fire magic can, it can refer to not just burning, not just using literal fire during the spell, but it can refer to the kinds of spells that correspond with fire, as we've already discussed, like creativity, lust, desire, so on. But it can also refer to literally using the power and the attributes and the characteristics of fire. So, like I said, a quick burning start or a powerful intensity in the work. And it can also be used in spells where a destructive element is desired. Like if you're trying to do a cord cutting or a banishing. So consider all of those things when you are constructing your spell. Like, oh God, um, if I'm trying to create, you know, a lust spell to sort of reignite the passion in my long-term relationship, what if I want to use a spell jar? Or, you know, candle magic, because those are my favorite kinds of spells to do. Well, that's cool. If I'm going to use this spell jar or candle magic, maybe I'll fill my spell jar with like cinnamon and crushed chilies and things like that. Or if I'm doing candle magic, maybe I, you know, I'll rub the candle down with cinnamon oil and then dress it with those fiery, passionate herbs. But what I'm probably not going to do is like write a sigil and burn it with those herbs in my cauldron because I don't want the spell to just work once really well and then fizzle out. You know, if I'm trying to go to the trouble of, to, of doing a whole spell like that, I'm going to want more than one, you know, hot, passionate night. I want to create a sustained, passionate, physical relationship. So think about the characteristics, the characteristics of the element that you want to use and then think about the timeline that you're trying to create as well. You know, there's a lot that you can combine to make the exact spell that you want. And mostly, as I always say, and as I'm always going to say, just do the goddamn work. Just try some shit. It isn't all going to work. It isn't all going to work the way that you want it to. At least probably not at first. It's a lot of trial and error, and that is why it's so important to write things down. Keep track of exactly what work you do, the ingredients that you use, the method of your spell, the words that you speak, the day of the month, the day of the week, the moon phase, so that you can go back later and update it with your results. And that way you can keep track of what worked and what didn't and how long it took and what may have gone wrong and what may have worked but not quite the way that you wanted it to so that you can refine all of those elements. Write down the things that you want to do differently next time or write down the things that you definitely want to do the same. And that way you can codify your own original spell work. It will become your signature, signature recipe. You should do this even if you do use someone else's spell from a book or from online. Like a recipe, you know, write down what you did, what you may have substituted, 
uh, the things that you did differently, uh, the things that you want to do next time. People really underestimate, I think, the amount of research and development that goes into witchcraft. It is not just all decorating your altar for the season and, you know, wearing long, beautiful dresses and taking pics for the gram. That is definitely part of it. That can be a very fun part of it, but it's really about the work. It doesn't, it's not meant to be performative. It's meant to be for yourself, to enrich your own life. And it's very academic in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think that we should give witches some credit for doing the work and trying to learn as much as we can and for all of the trial and error that goes into it. So, you know, if you're a seasoned witch or if you've just started along this path, I want to commend you. And I think that you should commend yourself for taking the bold step of forging your own way in this very weird world. Make it your own. You know, we only get one chance at this lifetime. So I think that we need to do the scary thing. We need to do the original thing. We need to do what feels most authentic to us. Nobody else gets to live this life for us. And at the end of this life, we're only going to have ourselves to blame if there are things that we wished we had done differently. So go out in the world, be weird, do some magic, use some fire. And I, you know, that's just kind of all I really wanted to say about this subject. I love fire magic. I love elemental magic. I think that it's such a beautiful way and such a powerful way to create our own realities. So, you know, until next time, keep those cauldrons bubbling. My name is Eli, and this has been the Middle-Aged Witch Podcast. content of this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional, mental, or medical health care and diagnosis. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only.